But I want to begin this morning by acknowledging uh, the blessing that, that fathers are. Uh, and I am thankful for my father and his impact in my life, fathers and, and grandfathers. Um, today also can be a tough day for some who's either... Fathers are in heaven, or sons are in heaven, or those who grew up without a father, or even worse, an abusive father. And of course, single moms who are filling in the gap and doing double duty. Uh, This can be a difficult day for others as well, and we certainly want to be sensitive to that, and yet we want to to honor our fathers today who have uh, done their best. No perfect fathers. We all wish we could have mulligans, redos. Uh, We don't get that opportunity a lot of times, and I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you feel like it is important to be here uh, and to lead your family to the Lord and to to church. It's one of the great honors in our life to be a father, but it is also one of the the weightiest responsibilities. And um, I'm thankful, as I said, not for a perfect father, but for a faithful father who was willing to admit when he was wrong, and uh, a man who directed us to the Lord, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, a father who loved his family, he loved my mother, Uh, he exemplified what it is like to love sacrificially, and as as a boy, I truly viewed him as a superhero, I enjoyed every moment of being with him, and it was, again, it was not because he was perfect, but because he really lived out the verse that we are going to be looking at this morning, and it was my goal as I watched him to live out this verse. I don't know that our country has ever been in a time or ever seen a time where there is a greater need for fatherly leadership uh, as there is right now. A day when our culture is attempting to redefine God-defined roles. A day when fathers are pressured to work their lives away, trying to provide a successful life for their children, so much so that they never spend time with their children. They come home absolutely exhausted in the evenings and doing all this just to provide a successful life for their children. So again, today, as we did on Mother's Day, we're going to break away from kind of our pattern. Our pattern is that we typically go book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today we're going to step away from that, pick back up in Mark chapter 7 on next Sunday. But I want us to look at this thought this morning, just one verse, a message that is not just for fathers because uh, it is something, the principles here are something that are applicable for all parents and even grandparents as well. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, just one verse this morning. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's say this together. Ready? And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the fathers that are here today. Uh, Lord, there are so many shortcomings in our lives, and Lord, we need you. We need you to give us courage. We need you to give us strength. 
We need you to give us discipline. Help us to be men of priority. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us this morning through our study of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the music today that has directed us to the cross of Jesus and has directed us to your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us today as we worship you. Now, Lord, to come in a, with a heart of submission and surrender to you and to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul is he's dealing with relationships in life. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22, Paul, again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins addressing each person in the home and their relationships. But before he starts addressing the, the husbands and the wives and the parents, before he does all that, look back at verse number 18 as he sets the stage for this instruction to families. He says in verse number 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting ourselves, preferring each other. And he begins this in verse number 18 by telling us really in essence that the key to successful relationships, the key to successful marriages, the key to uh, harmony and peace within the home is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Each and every person in the home being Spirit-filled. So the great need of our day, to summarize it, is to have Spirit-filled families. In regards to marriage, Paul challenges men, love our wives. As Christ loved the church, sacrificially and selflessly, preferring them above ourselves. And then he begins chapter 6 dealing with the responsibility of children to honor and to obey their parents. And we won't take time to go through those verses today, but they're, they're talking about the relationship to the children, to the parents. And then in verse number 4, he specifically addresses fathers and our role in parenting. Paul addresses the shortcomings of men head on. Men, we are called this morning, and this is the reminder, we as men are called to lead our families. God specifically says here for us as men to be the leaders, and for too long, mothers have felt the primary responsibility and the primary weight of spiritual leadership and biblical teaching in the home that God designed for men to have. You see, we've allowed society to tell us that the greatest responsibility that a man has is to provide for his family. And that is certainly one of the things, but it is not the primary responsibility that God has given us. The primary responsibility is to lead our family to God, to point them to Jesus Christ. There may not be a more intimidating job for a man than the thought of being a father. Being a father for the first time can be a scary thing. How many of you remember when you got the news that you were going to be a father? Some of you, that's so far ago, far uh, away, you don't remember it anymore. I still remember the time that Kim told me I was on a trip somewhere, and she called me and told me that I was going to be a father, and I remember the weight of that news. 
I remember the first time I held Jordan in my hand, just under five pounds. I could literally hold her right there. I think she was 5'4", but went down to like four something before she left the hospital and just tiny. I can remember the weight of the responsibility uh, of holding her. It reminds me of uh, the doctor who came out and there's four first time fathers in the waiting room and they're waiting to hear the news and the doctor comes out and he says to the first father, sir, congratulations, you're a father of twins. He says, that is so strange because I work for the Minnesota Twins. The doctor comes out to the second father and he says, sir, congratulations, you're the father of triplets. And he goes, there's no way, that is, that is crazy. He said, they're all boys. He said, no way, I, I work for 3M company. The doctor comes out to the next guy and says, sir, congratulations, you are the father of, trip, or, or of quadruplets. He goes, there, there's no way, I, I work for Four Seasons Hotels. By this time, the fourth father is over in the corner, banging his head up against the wall. And the doctor said, sir, are you okay? And he said, no, I work for 7-Up. So I'm thankful it was just one at the time when I got the news. Being a father can be scary. And the real reason that fathering, being a father can be scary is not so much maybe the, the financial responsibilities. But if we're honest, it is, it is the pressure that we feel, the external pressures of a society and a culture that is around us that is primarily anti-God, anti-Bible. And secondly, the internal pressures of the nature of the child that is within them. And it really boils down to the fact that we're raising children with a sin nature inside of them who are greatly influenced by a sinful society around them. So you have these, this internal pressure of their sin nature, and then you have this external pressure of the society around them. And as we know, those of us who are getting on up there in age, that childhood has changed. It's not what it used to be. Uh, that, that childhood games have changed. How many of you have realized that? That, that childhood language has changed. Cl- Changed and clothing has certainly changed. Our children are overexposed to things in their life and minds and emotions now that they cannot handle and they are hurried into massive temptations. You know, when, when we were children growing up before the internet, and my children can't believe that I was in, in that I was a child before there was internet, but uh, it's true. And during those times, uh, what a child was taught. And Saul was really monitored and, and guided by teachers and parents. But that's not true anymore. Because they have devices in their hands all the time. And they can see in just a moment what we never had access to. In Psalm 58, 3 and 4, the psalmist says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Listen, as soon as they come out, they are lying. They're completely clean, they're fed, and they're screaming, telling you that they need you. They don't need you, they're lying to you. (laughs) This is the sin nature that is inside of them. And then you mix that with the external pressures of the world, and and we, we feel the weight as fathers. And this may be one of the most important 
sermons as fathers that we hear all year because of the great need that we have to lead our families in this day and age. The truth is, men, we will stand before God and we will give an account before God of what kind of fathers we were and the way that we led our families. And it's going to be primarily, when we stand there, listen, it's going to be primarily spiritual in nature, not physical. When you you and I stand before God, let me say it again, it's not going to be primarily did you provide things for your family? Did you provide a roof over their head? Did you get them a car? Did you leave them a nice inheritance? That's not primarily what you and I are going to give an account for. It is, did we lead them to Jesus? Did we point them to an eternal purpose? And I'm reminded now more than ever that our sons are likely to imitate what kind of man we are and our daughters are likely to marry someone like us. There's a great weight of responsibility. Two main points this morning. First of all, there is a call to love selflessly. He says, notice the first part of this verse. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath or to anger. This kind of love involves both encouragement and loving discipline. And the parallel passage to this verse is found in Colossians 3.21. And listen to how it says it. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Notice this, lest they be discouraged. I've been around a lot of young people who have been very discouraged because they've never been encouraged by their parents. There's no affection, there's no honor, there's no affirmation, there's little communication, and there's no loving discipline. We talked about this this week in our our men's Bible study, that a lot of the men in our generation grew up with fathers who didn't say, I love you. They were hard workers. Uh, they, They provided for their family, but there was no affirmation. There was no communication. And listen... We, we, we need to, as fathers, realize that although they were good fathers, that, that that is not the way that God designed it to be. That God designed us to be communicators. That God designed it, us to be able to impact and spend time with our children. And our children need to hear their dad say, I love you. They do. Years ago, I made it a point never to get off the phone with my wife or my children without telling them I love you. In fact, I'm in such a habit of that, sometimes I say it to whoever else I'm on the phone with. But Our children need encouragement, don't they? How do we prevent provoking our children and making them angry and consequently creating bitterness and animosity and conflict and hostility in the home. Let me just suggest a few things this morning. Number one, we provoke our children to wrath when we are not a consistent part of their life. When we are only the angry disciplinarian, but we are not a part of their life. When we fail to spend time with them and we fail to discipline them in a loving way that God has called us to discipline them. Not provoking our children to anger does not mean that we forsake correction, that we forsake discipline. In fact, forsaking discipline lovingly and correction, if it is neglected, is abuse, really. 
Because discipline is love. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Notice, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Even a father, the son in whom he delights. So a father who truly loves his children doesn't want to just be his buddy, but wants to be his father and truly loves him. He will discipline him, but he will do so as the Lord disciplines us, and that is out of love. Listen, children of single moms can certainly defeat these odds, and we have single moms here today. And as I said earlier, they are up against a weight. Uh, They are at a great disadvantage not having a father in the home and having to do extra duty and our heart goes out to them and we want to help them every uh, chance that we get. And I want children to always know, hey, you can beat these odds. The grace of God is bigger than any circumstance, amen? Any situation. And we've seen that happen. We support a missionary whose whole ministry is to fatherless children. And it's having great impact. But I want you to to see this morning, and I give you these stats not to discourage any single moms or any children in single mom homes, but for us as dads to realize the importance of our presence in the home. This is from the U.S. Census Bureau, and it tells us that 19.7 million children live without a father in the home. And if you wonder if the absence of a father really has much impact The stats are, and they are not from a Christian organization, four times more likely to live in poverty, twice as likely to be involved in drugs and immorality, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, 90% of runaway or homeless children are from fatherless homes, 85% of children who have behavioral problems at school are from fatherless homes, 71% of students that don't finish high school are from fatherless homes, and 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Did you get that? 85%. Of the young people in our system come from fatherless homes. Dads, it does matter. And if we leave it to our society to teach our children how to live life, we will live and die regretting it. Because our society recognizes the abundance of anger in our young people. And they say, we have to do something about it. We have to do something to address it. And so here's what our society decided to do about it. Our children need more self-esteem. So we're going to spend all this money investing in giving them more self-esteem. In fact, many of you probably remember Whitney Houston's song written about this, The Greatest Love of All. And there's a line in there that says this, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. I have never had a child out of all three of them that I've had to teach to love themselves, to be selfish. I've never had to teach them how to say no They are born with this this in them. But you will never find that anywhere in Scripture. Remember that our society and Scripture rarely, if ever, agree. Our society says that children's bad behavior, their criminal activities, it's all because they don't know how wonderful they are. And the Scripture way to not provoke children to anger is to create an environment 
where there is loving discipline in the home, where fathers show up to lead their family spiritually, to discipline them out of love and to show the love of Christ and exercise loving discipline when our children need it, to be there to listen to them when they need to talk, to learn their struggles and their fears and to guide them through those things, not from just personal experience and certainly not from the experience of our society, but from Scripture, to give them truth. Let me just mention another thing this morning that we see from Scripture that often provokes children to anger that we ought to avoid, and that is that we display favoritism within our children. Now, there's only one appropriate time to display favoritism. We all know this, and that is when you only have one daughter and multiple sons. <laughs> Can I get an amen, dads? Amen. It's the only, I'll, I'll come up with the scripture later, but let me just establish that right off the get-go. We see the damage that favoritism creates in Scripture. Jacob and Esau were constantly at odds. And you want to know why? Because their mom and dad showed favoritism. And Jacob picked that up, if you know the history and the story. And he also showed favorites with his children, showing favoritism to Joseph, who was his beloved son. And his, made his other children so angry that they sold Joseph into slavery. So you know, dads, you've really got a problem when your children come home and they've sold one of your kids, all right? But favoritism is something that can create anger in children. Jesse didn't have any confidence that his youngest son would even be an option for king. He didn't even want him to be considered. And I I think that maybe we see the effects of that later in David's life because he is the one who wrote in Psalm 2710, which I would encourage all children that come from fatherless homes to, to take this verse and to remember this, Psalm 2710, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up, telling you there is hope. There is hope. And I'll just add as my own personal opinion here to guard against overprotection in children. I think one of the things that has driven a lot of children to anger is the overprotection that parents have given, not allowing children to ever grow up and be the individuals that God has called them to be. God has called us parents to prepare our children to go out and be adults and lead their own families, not to try to control them for the rest of their lives. I've seen it so often. And then I would also add to guard your words, parents. I've seen many young people who have become very angry because of the verbal abuse that they have endured, because of the constant slander, the constant critical conversations that are in the home. And James has so much to say about the power of a tongue. And I have learned this as a father, that there is so much power in what we say that our kids really do take to heart the words that we say to them. Someone said, if a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilt. If a child lives with grace, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns to be confident. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to trust. If a child lives 
terms with acceptance and friendship. He learns how to find love and to show love. And I remind us all this morning that much more is taught or much more is caught than is taught. Much more is caught by the way that we live our lives than what we speak to them. And our leadership begins with selfless love. Secondly, uh, not only a call to love selflessly, but a call to lead scripturally. He says, not only are we as fathers not to provoke our children to wrath, that's the negative aspect, then he gives us a positive aspect. Provoke not your children to wrath, but, and here is the positive, bring them up. Would you circle and underline those three words? Bring them up. Who bring them up? Fathers bring them up. Fathers be the leader. In the nurture, how are we to bring them up? In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And bringing them up, dads, means being present. Being there. Proverbs 22, 6 says it this way. Train up a child in the way he should go. Lead them. Direct them. To train up a child in the way they should go means to create a thirst in our children's life for God. I want you to take your Bibles real quickly and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 go hand in hand. And I want you to look at this passage with me this morning in closing. And I want to just bring out some ways that we as as dads are called to lead our families or Moms, if you are the only parent in the family, these are ways that you need to lead your children and I need to lead my children. Deuteronomy chapter six. First of all, we see in the first four verses that we lead by recognizing God as supreme. That we realize that God is to be honored and God is to be worshiped. Look what he says in the first four verses. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest, here's the phrase, fear the Lord thy God and to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, here it is again, verse four, mark it. The Lord our God is one Lord. We're going to be looking at it this Wednesday night in our men's Bible study. But one of the great lies that men believe is that God is not that much more different than we are. No, we need to remember that there is a sovereign God who rules creation and rules our life. And we need to be pointing our children to him. He is supreme. He is primary. He is first. He is preeminent. And then secondly, we lead it by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Make it personal. Before it is ever going to become personal with our children, it needs to be personal with us. We lead by obeying God's word. Verse 3. Hear therefore, Israel, and observe to do it. We lead by living out what we say. Verse number six. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. In our heart. We we live out 
what we teach them. And let me just say, encourage dads this morning to lead your family to the house of the Lord. To lead your family to worship. These stats always amaze me. If a mom and dad attend church faithfully, 72% of their children will do the same if both of them attend church. If only dad attends church faithfully, 55% of their children will do the same. And then listen to this. If only mom attends church faithfully, 15% of their children will do the same. If neither attend church, only 6% of their children will attend church. Make it a priority. I know that you have to provide for your families. One of the most successful businessmen in all the world, named J.C. Penney, wrote these words. If a man has so much business that he has limited time for God and family, then that man has more business than God intended him to have. And then lastly, we see that we lead by teaching and warning Dads, it's our responsibility. Verse 7, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, when, when thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, to give the great and good, goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou dig not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Use life as a classroom, dads and moms. When you stand up, when you lie down, when you sit down, when you walk in the way. Listen, spiritual conversation, what he's saying. Scriptural conversation ought to be common around our homes. It's quiet. Because in so many homes it's not common. Borrowing from the example of our Lord, we want to bring up children four ways, mentally, Physically, socially, and spiritually. Remember Luke chapter 2 in verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased, or he grew, in these ways. In wisdom, that is mentally. In stature, that is physically. And in favor with God, that is spiritually. And in favor with man, that is socially. That is the responsibility that we have as parents. So parents with fathers as the leaders... We have this responsibility, what he says in chapter 6 and verse 4 that we have read, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the dominating influence in our homes should be the Word of God. Not the television, not our society, but the Word of God. Writing it on our hands means that we view all of our labor through a biblical perspective. Do you, do you view, dads, your work through scriptural lens. Putting it on your head, as it were, means that we view life through the eyes of scripture. One father summed it up this way, if I were starting my family again, I would love my wife more in front of my children. 
I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more even to the smallest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending to be better. I would pray differently for my family rather than focusing on them. I would focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would do more encouraging. I would bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things, the little deeds and the words of kindness and thankfulness. But mostly, said this father, I would love God more every day, seeking to adore him in front of them. The greatest thing we can do for our children is to have a passionate, loving relationship with God. And to be in his word and be part of a local church. Fathers and grandfathers, lead your children to Jesus. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we're, we're almost done. This week I was driving back from Cincinnati and I was listening to some podcasts on the road. And, and I was reminded of my own father again and rehearsing things that I believe today in my heart because of the influence of my father and especially scripture that he drove into our hearts and minds. And really kind of in honor of my dad, I I wanted to share some of those with us this morning because the greatest things that you will ever leave for your children are the imprints of their mind and the convictions that they have and the promises that they can go to in the word of God when life is tough. Listen, our children are going to experience rough days, tough times, difficult storms, maybe even more difficult than you and I have ever experienced, probably more difficult. And listen, they don't just need good advice. They need the word of God to guide them. They need this book to be preeminent. When they're going through a hard time, they need to be able to go quickly to scripture that they know, hey, dad and mom taught me the scripture and it's in my heart and this is how I go through this. And I just jotted down these biblical lessons that are still in my worldview today. First of all, is that we are created to live for the glory of our creator God, not our own glory. My father taught me that life is about the glory of God, not the glory of myself. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we said it often. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're not here to build our own kingdom. We're here to promote the kingdom of God. Number two, God makes no mistakes and works all things for his eternal purpose. Let me tell you, when Jackson was born with a bilateral cleft palate, I was a father, very naive, never even seen a cleft lip and cleft palate. When we knew that he had the same liver disease that our son Jared had, it was a storm like I had never experienced before. But I'm thankful for a father who was present in that moment. I'm thankful for a father who had instilled this principle in my life. That God works all things for his glory and our good. And that no matter what happens in this life, it is a temporary life. I'll never forget 
the exhaustion that Kim and I felt that night as we went to sleep and Jackson was in another room and it was a Saturday night. My dad was pastoring and he was to preach the next morning. And I will never forget as Kim and I went into that little room to visit him that morning that there was a little note from dad. God is in control going home to preach Romans eight twenty eight. And that Sunday morning, he stood in front of a congregation and he preached this verse. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, as I said last week, storms of life are not just for the disobedient. Sometimes they're for the obedient. To conform us to the image of Jesus Christ and to give us opportunity to be his witnesses. And then the third thing that I wrote down is that God can be trusted Thank you, Dad, for teaching me that God can be trusted. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he used to say it all the time. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. Psalm 37, 5, one of my dad's favorite verses. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Number four, I heard my dad say this hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I've never forgotten that. Hebrews 9.27 I can remember many times hearing my dad closing out a sermon and coming to Hebrews 9.27 and reminding us, hey church, hey folks, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. He is coming back. This temporary life is going to be over. Only one life is going to soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these temporary things will be added unto you. God will take care of all that. Seek first His kingdom. Number five, the Christian life is the most joyful life. Now you wouldn't know that by walking into some churches. But my dad and mom taught me that the most joyful life is the Christian life. It's not always the easiest life, but it is the most joyful life. Proverbs 17, 22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. So dad, keep telling those dad jokes. <laughs> Laughter in the home is good. Joy in the home. Laugh at yourself. Laugh at your own mistakes. The children, our children, the greatest laughs that they get are at my expense. And that used to hurt, but now I just laugh along with them. Psalm 16, 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Number six, the Christian life is a supernatural life. And boy, did my dad teach me this, not by what he said, but the way he lived. A man of great faith who today at 75, 4, somewhere around there, is in Maine replanting a church. Left the comforts and left the confidence and assurances that he had here in the south and moved up to the north to replant a church totally by faith. 
he continually, continues to remind me of this. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then, number seven, be committed to truth and love. You hear me say it all the time. It come, came from my father, Ephesians 4.15. It didn't originally come from him. It originally came from the scripture. But he constantly reminded us, speak the truth in love. That we may grow up into him in all things. Number eight, love and cherish your wife and mother. My dad taught me to love and cherish the women in our life, to honor them. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Number 10, God's will is always the best place to reside. Be who God made you to be. You know, my dad was a pastor, but I'm thankful that he never pressured me to be a preacher. I... I, Came to know that that's what the Lord wanted me to do when I was 17 years old. But I can remember many, many times riding in a truck with my dad. And he would look over and say, son, you know you don't have to preach when you get old. Just love Jesus. Just serve Jesus. Hebrews 13, 20 says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will according in you, that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Young people, there's no place like God's will. It's the greatest place to be. And then lastly, dad taught me taught us that sin and hell are real and horrible and Jesus Christ is the great Savior. Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The, thing, the greatest lesson God ever, or Dad ever taught us from Scripture was that eternity is around the corner and heaven and hell are real places where every person will spend an eternity. And he is not willing that any should perish, that it all, but that all should come to repentance. And fathers, the greatest gift you can ever give your children is for them to know that you will spend eternity with them, with Jesus Christ in heaven forever. If you've never done that, Father's Day would be a great day to do that. And then to lead your family as God intended you to. Listen, Dad, it doesn't make any difference where our kids get in this life if they don't make it to heaven. And they don't do that by works. They do it by putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. I love what Vadi Bachman said, If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eye on Jesus, I have failed as a father. Oh, there is a twelfth one, isn't there? Y'all only have eleven. I have twelve in my notes, so... I must have wrote this one down after I sent my notes in. God forgives and restores, and we should do the same. Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Listen, life is too short for unforgiveness. Life is too short. 
How many funerals have we been to where there's anxiousness, there's uncomfortable feelings there because of unforgiveness in families? Listen, there's no room for it. Say, how do I forgive? Remember how much Christ has forgiven you. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. These are just things that my dad taught me, not from society, but from Scripture, that I hope will be a help and a blessing to all of us this morning.